Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for episode 87. 87. Man, we are almost 100 episodes old. You know, I was uh, meeting with Jimbo Balaam earlier this week via phone and internet. The Hobbit? Um, No, he's not really a Hobbit. Not oh. so much. But um, he actually thinks that uh, we're old. And he was telling me so. Really? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'm that old. I'm. I'm like, dude, you're no spring chicken. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, I'm like hey, barely older than you. He's just judging me because I got a little gray on my beard, and all I'll say about that is, like Harrison Ford said, it ain't the age, baby. It's the mileage. Yeah, you know, I actually told my wife the other day that I'm about ready to cut off my goatee because I'm getting too much gray in it. Yeah, we skipped gray. I went straight to white. Did you? Yeah, it looks like the head of a cotton top marmoset. And the longer it gets, the more shaggy it gets, it gets like um it gets whiter and whiter. Like it 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 up towards like the my lower lip, it stays like, you know, brown, black, whatever it is. And then as it grows, it's just pure white. So whenever I I trim or whatever, my wife's like, Oh man, you look so much younger. Thank you for doing that. Because otherwise she's she's walking around with some like old bald guy with a really long chin for When you get the full beard going on. You look oh, a yeah. lot older. Dude, I, I barely have any uh, color left in my, like, the rest of my face. It's just where I grow right there. My mustache. I could actually grow a pretty mean little mustache. My mustache is still black. I've been telling my wife that's what I want to do. I want to go with just a mustache. I was thinking that. We should do that. For our next <laughs> webinar, we should totally sport mustaches. <laughs> Which, actually, on our next webinar, we've got Francis Chan. Woohoo! Hey, that was a nice, shameless plug. I know. 
We found sound effects in Google Hangout because Pete still hasn't fixed his stinking sound effect machine. No, no, I haven't. Hey, man, I ain't falling for no banana tailpipe. Dude, that would be like the world's greatest sound effect if I could get it, but I can't. No, man, you guys say it like this. I ain't falling for no banana tailpipe. (laughs) I love it. I say it like a brother. Dude, we had a good webinar last week. We had a great webinar. did. We did. So we're on like 87 of the podcast, but like webinar one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got some catching up to do, Lucy. Yeah. And so we took the first half of the webinar, our part, the part without Dave Ferguson, and we put that up on the old. uh, The really good part. Hey, you know, it's because it was more on us. So, yeah, it was the really good part. I'm just teasing. But um, I mean, Dave, Dave came on like after what? And he just copied us anyways. What I think is, I, I still think it's the funniest part of the whole webinar is we started it, and I'm all, <laughs> what was this? I can't even, I, I can't even do the sound effect. What was the sound effect I was doing? You were doing, uh, I got the power. Well, you you, you came in with the, I got the power. Yeah, you start off the, I'm all, and then you're all, I got the power. And that's literally how the webinar started. I like, think today we spent like 10 or 15 minutes on Google Hangout putting like pirate hats on us and beards. And and the funny thing is, if you guys don't know this, like we record most of these on Google Hangout and we'll get guys on some. When we first started, our thing was we were going to make everybody wear like fake hats and stuff and mustaches when they came on and interviewed us. And then we decided, no, it records better if we take the video off. But I still think we need to do that, Pete. I think we could actually get away with it. I really do. I think the key is we just need to have Dropbox off. We got Dropbox off. I think we could do a video. It'll be fine. Because that webinar was really good. I mean, it came out really good. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I I had a great time doing that. It was fun. The interaction was really good. Like, people asking the questions and the, uh, the back and forth. I think next time what we'll do is I'll probably moderate it better. And that way you don't have to follow the questions. You can just say, all right, Pete, you know, what are some of the other questions we got? And I can just, all right, you know, here's, here was a good one from Tim in North Dakota. He says, blah, 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 blah. You know, I think that's what we'll do next time differently. And we got to set ground rules next time too. So we can tell guys like, look, like the one guy was having his own private conference on there. Like he was (laughs) teaching alongside when I, when you and I were talking and I was like, no, you you can't go to my website, go to my website. Yeah, he's all preaching to everybody. It's like totally like, meanwhile, we're talking, and I'm looking down. I can see him doing all that, and I'm like, and then uh, Hector Moore comes in. He's like, I'm going to totally shut that fool down. Well, what's funny <laughs> is I could have just banned him. Like, I have the ban button, but I was like, I don't even know who this guy is. So, that's so know. awesome. I didn't do it, but I probably will next time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Love it. So, what's the uh, what's the topic for the day? Well, that was awfully forward of you, don't you think? I mean, we're only on the first date right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we find the sound effects again. It's on. That's what that joke actually deserved. Yeah, actually, we're going to talk today about some something that. Uh, 
is a sad time. I was about to make a joke, but you know, the problem is Pete and I joke about things that aren't really funny. And I think for me, it came from being a psych nurse, being a firefighter. And being <laughs> for me, it just came from being, well, me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause you're a PK man. Like you, you know, probably your house, you're in the thick of it all the time. I was going to use more colorful language, but I decided would not be appropriate. Well, you know, we're going to talk, I was about to say something I'm very familiar with, which is mental illness. But, you know, I spend time as a psych nurse, and I find myself telling people all the time the best preparation for ministry I ever had was being a psychiatric uh, mental health nurse and working drug rehab. And I worked uh, in the busiest uh, psychiatric institution in Southern California with the highest turnover rate. It was an entire hospital dedicated to uh, mental illness. And I got a job because way back then, gosh, this is so many years ago. It's like 16 years ago. Well, first, before we get to that, what kind of people were sent there? Was it voluntary, involuntary, 5150s? What was it? Yeah, both. And and my unit, my unit that I was actually, I became the uh, acting charge nurse, and the um, I started off as a floor nurse, but uh, which means that you run the floor. So I started kind of like from a almost like an administrative nursing position, and went in and really had to learn from the bottom up. In fact, they made me work like the bottom rank, like the first two months, but um, and just work like some dude off the street. So I would learn like everything there was to learn, which was great. But it was um, it was a lockup. Like people came in handcuffs or straight jackets or whatever. Um, they came on gurney, strapped down, and we were one step below the criminally insane. The name of the unit that I worked on was Critical Stability Unit. I cannot um, talk about what, uh, where it was, what hospital it was. I cannot mention um, patients. I, there's patient confidentiality, um, so I can't give specific uh, details about people, their lives. I will share some stories that will be very generic. Um, but it, it was, it was a busy place. We had a medical ward. So imagine you have a surgery, but you're also schizophrenic. Now, not only are you paranoid about the government putting computer chips in your head, but someone has actually just cut into your body. And imagine what that's going to do with your delusional paranoia. You're going to start, you know, you, what they try to do is if, if you've, uh, sewed them back up, they try to open themselves back up and take whatever the government has planted within their body. So um, it, it was crazy, man. We we had people, uh, you know, I, I can't even describe it to you. Um, we had 21 rooms. Um, there could only be a very small number of patients in there. Um, you know, the chairs couldn't, they had to be weighted down. They were made out of foam. And they were solid. They didn't have four chair legs, anything that could be a weapon. Uh, you know, you, you, you ha- it had to be so that you could not lift the chair up. That's how heavy it had to be um, so that uh, no one could bash anyone else in the head with it. So you had um, a foam chair that was so heavy you couldn't lift it up. Absolutely. That, that was the furniture. And so everything in there had to be so that it, it couldn't be ripped off the wall. It, it just couldn't, you know, it couldn't be turned into a weapon. If somebody gets in a drill in Russia, and I literally, no kidding now, I literally watched um, somebody uh, who had a um, surge of adrenaline. They were, they were paranoid schizophrenic. They literally went in their room, and because they were having episodes, like on The Incredible Hulk, remember when that show came out in the 70s, they had, um, 
you know, uh, was it Bruce Banner? They called him on the show, I think. No, it wasn't. David it was, Banner. Uh, David Banner. Yeah, they screwed it up. But uh, it was David Banner on the show that the reason he goes in and becomes the Hulk is because he, you know, can't save his family. You know, when the car lands on one of his family members while they're they're changing the tire or something like that, and he can't lift the car off somebody, and so. He's watching show after show where people are saying, I had this adrenaline rush and I could just lift the car up. And so he does the experiment as a Hulk. Well, when there is, this is really happens when people get uh, adrenaline rushes, they can actually get superhuman strength. And I watched a guy walk out of his room right before he attacked me, funny enough. Um, he was holding uh, a twisted, you know, like those big heavy fire doors you see in hospitals and they've got the metal handles that latch. Um, they're not doorknobs. They're kind of like latches. We had one of those. Literally, he comes out and the metal is all twisted. Like he just sat there and I, I didn't think this was humanly possible. He literally twisted the metal off with his bare hands. Um, like within a matter of like 30 seconds. Wow. I, I, he was walking the hallway and he, he comes out and he's like, you could just see he's, he's in the zone, right? And I said, you need to go back in your room because they would have this time during each shift where they had, you know, what was called quiet time. They had to go in their room. They didn't have to sleep, but they had to go in their room and the, the ward just got quiet. And so he, uh, he turns around inside and he must have gone back and he, he closes his door. The next thing I know, he comes out and he's holding this ripped doorknob that looked like it was made out of, you know, butter just twisted everywhere and he's he comes staggering this time like he's staggering he's got so much adrenaline he can't even walk he just he comes out like frankenstein and i don't know if you've ever seen it like when someone gets really mad and they're like and their their neck tenses everything tenses that's how he was that's why he's walking funny the adrenaline rush was so strong and and we said to him um and and i could tell like spider sense was tingling i'm like uh you need to get back, but I knew it was coming. I go, you need to get back in your room. And he goes, <laughs> and then he just goes, and, you know, jumped on me. <laughs> and uh, What age bracket you know, were, were the people that were in your ward or whatever? Well, you know, the uh, there was 18 to whatever age. Um, there were there so just were adult. units. The, just yeah, adult. adult. But there was an adolescent wing. And I mean, I saw crazy stuff on that, you know, the, the, most of the units were lockdown units. And so you would have like on ours, which was critical stability. Um, that's kind of like the green berets of psych nurses, right? That's like the commando unit. Um, you, you, are sent the, the ones that the long-term facilities can't deal with. And it's one step below to the criminally insane. So for example, uh, Ronald Reagan was, uh, shot by a person who was schizophrenic. And so, now there's a law that well, says that actually it's, isn't true. I mean, the government told him to go shoot Reagan. <laughs> Get out of here. No, but but there's a the 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 reality is is that um, they they had to start taking threats against the president um, very seriously. When you have what's called like a delusion of grandeur, um, you uh, believe like oh you know like maybe what you just said. The government has told me I must kill the president or God. You know, talk about grandeur. Um, God has told me I must kill the president. And so when somebody says that or, or says, I'm going to kill a president, I can remember I had one patient and she said, you know, we said, what are you going to do if you're let out of here? And she said, I'm going to kill the president. 
and 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 the my coworker said, "Oh, uh, we're gonna have to call, uh, uh, you know, the the Secret Service now." And sure enough, you know, on every mental hospital ward in in because the guy that shot Reagan, uh, many of you don't know this, Reagan was shot in the head. And of course, the Brady Bill and all that stuff came out of that. It's always talked about in gun control debates, um, but but Reagan was shot in the head. He actually was rushed to. George Washington Memorial Hospital I was born in. And uh, he, um, but this guy had been telling everyone he was going to shoot the president and no one took him serious. And of course he goes and shoots the president. So they passed a law saying that, that whenever anybody says, I'm going to do this, you call uh, the Secret Service. So Secret Service came down, man, it was, it was kind of trippy. They were, they were like the men in the black suits. They came in. It was all very formal. They had lie detector tests. They had, I mean, it was a serious deal. They had to take him in a room I had never been in in the hospital. It was a room set aside for this. And uh, they, they started interviewing her, and she um, gave her, you know, uh, ideation, which is her intent to do it. And then, they, then she gave her methodology. And that's where the whole thing unraveled because they said, well, how do you plan to assassinate the president? And she said, I'm going to shoot laser beams out of my eyes. And then one of the guys looked at me and said, and he kind of smiled and said, I think we're done here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so he left. But, uh, you know, the, the reason we're talking about this today um, is that we uh, want to talk about how to minister to somebody with mental illness. And, and in one sense, understand me when I say in some ways you can't. There will be certain people and, and guys that the number one rules you have to understand when you are out of your depth. And so what I want to do today is I want to give just equip you to be aware of the different types of mental illnesses, the things that you will come across, what kind of things need to be done um, to deal with people, how you deal with them in a ministry context and um, how you keep yourself safe. And maybe debunk some of the mythology around psychiatric illnesses um, and just equip you guys because we always fear the unknown. We fear what we don't understand. And so a lot of people, you know, they, they I can remember when I first went into ministry that people were just annoyed in the church when a crazy person turned up. And, mm -hmm. I, and, I, and I look back and I just think it was fear. And, of course, <laughs> you've been with us at uh, Refuge now. You know it's just, you know. Um, People aren't afraid anymore, you know, because they've, they've been around. It was like that one time we, we had the, uh, the service in um, Bixby Park, and we were outdoor service. And, you know, we had a time, open time, or someone, you know, people can share a scripture or whatever. And this one guy stands up to the mic, and I'm just standing there, of course, because I'm a psych nurse. You know, I know how to treat him. He remembered when he got clear, because I, I was able to take him aside and, and, and kind of talk to him afterwards. But I'll get to that. But he stands up. And he goes, um, hey, I need you guys all to pray for me. And, uh, and he came right up to the pulpit where I was, and he goes, I need you to pray um, because uh, blah, 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 blah. God's really put something on my heart, blah, blah. He starts getting really animated suddenly. And then he goes, and I'm running for governor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we're like, okay. I don't remember know? that. I might not have been there for that one. Yeah. Actually, I think he said I'm running for United States Senate. And, um, and, and, and I just – you know, I just very lovingly, like it used to be that like, I can remember this stuff. Like you'd be in a mega church and like suddenly like, you know, the church secret service, you know, the Sanhedrin's in the temple guard and they tackle him to the ground and drag him out kicking and screaming. 
I remember that was how people used to be dealt with. And so um, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I want to give you guys a little bit, you know, safer way and maybe, you know, something that doesn't involve people getting injured, um, both you and the person who, you know, really can't be held responsible. But that's people used to look, I'm like, yeah, you jerk, you know, why are you coming in here disrupting our, our services? And, you know, if you're delusional, you don't really know what you're doing. You're not really in your right mind. I remember that dude. I, I just kind of put my hand on his shoulder because I knew it wasn't the paranoid type schizophrenic. He was just, you know, delusional. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I, I just said, hey, man, come over here. I want to talk to you about that. And I just led him away and I said, you know, and I just listened to him for a couple minutes, let him talk. And then I just asked him really, you know, once they know you have compassion, I just, and we'll get to all this, but I, I just very compassionately said, um, are you on any medication right now? And he goes, well, yes, I, I, I do, but I actually stopped taking my medicine. I said, oh, I, th- I thought so. I said, can I, can I tell you, I just, I, 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 I don't want to knock what you're saying, but I, I think it's showing a little bit. You might be unraveling just a bit. And he's like, oh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you, you start learning how to talk to people where you don't come at them. Um, but we'll get to that. So, hmm. well, you know, just going in, it's a big deal, right? Like we got Rick Warren's son. I, I can remember, you know, like I said, not only were we annoyed about it, but it was actually seen as a lack of spirituality. If you talked about psychiatric illness, if you... um you know, there, there is depression. a depression. That's very there, un, unchristian. Yeah. Like, why can't you get it together, man? Like joy of the Lord. Suck it up. Don't you? Yeah. Don't you read the Lord? Yeah. Don't you read the word, man? The word of God has all the answers, brother. You know, you always find these guys that, um, it, it's just so easy for them. Now, meanwhile, their lives are wrecks. Uh, <laughs> people that are telling you that are not the poster child for having their life all together. But, um, you know, it it often, you know, in, in the 80s, and the 90s, people just didn't know what to do with mental illness. And I am all for praying into it. I am all for, uh, like, in other words, I don't put stuff in separate categories. And I don't, I don't say, well, this one's spiritual and this one's, you know, uh, physiological. Um, I, I look at it as if this is a physical problem with someone's brain, obviously God can heal it. But just like God can immediately take away a porn addiction, excuse me, a porn addiction, or, you know, he could deal with an area in my life, like, and turn it on a dime. But he doesn't always do that. So to make these kinds of rules, it doesn't work with sanctification. It doesn't work with healing. It doesn't work with um, spiritual gifts, right? Like, I can't just say, well, I have the gift of healing. I just heal whoever I want. No, God is sovereign, and the Holy Spirit sovereignly does whatever he wants. Jesus said he's the wind. You can't tame him, control him. So I stand as an instrument to for God to use. And sometimes that might mean I lay hands on a crack addict and he is immediately set free from his addiction. That has happened. It's happened in Long Beach. It doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes people just need to go to meetings, get involved in Celebrate Recovery or NA and go for the long haul and struggle like the rest of us do. As James says, we all stumble in many ways. And so that might be the area they stumble in, might be their thorn in the flesh that causes dependence upon Christ, that they might know that his grace is sufficient for them, that his power is made perfect in their weakness. So this 
Paul says, that the power of Christ might rest upon them. And so these are important things, the undergirdings of theology that you need to have. You need to have a healthy framework of the theology of grace in order to work with people. I believe in the supernatural, but I don't make up rules. God says for me to pray to people. I do that. Or pray for it. I don't pray say. to people. Wow. That's some that's new theology whole, all of a sudden. That's, that's a whole nother subject for another day. Why I pray to people. So now all of a sudden, we're the Catholic Church Planning Podcast. <laughs> well, you know, and, and here's the thing is we all have our speciality. I was going to say that uh, when we talk about the exorcism one, and that's coming up soon, um, The because uh, I finally told talked Pete into, uh, I had to go to see a movie. We had to go see a movie. That's good. what finally got me, like, where I could hang with that. We were at a pastor's conference. Pete's like, let's bail. Let's go to that movie. <laughs> I so did. That's the funniest part. He's like, let's go bail. And we had Barry, my intern with us. And it, it was a, it was the guy that you went, he, he went to Biola, right? He's the director and he's been doing yeah. a series of exorcism films. And I gotta say that movie was very Christ honoring. I mean, I was blown away because, you know, you're like, look, this dude went to Biola and have you seen the other movies he's done? And so we went and we, we, we kind of bailed out and went to the that. movie was deliver us from evil. Yeah, so we're not and we, totally we're ambiguous. Talking. We won't go into it now, no. but uh, just because it's another topic. But that will be finally after that. We went away and we talked, and Barry we, we, Barry was like peeing his pants. He's like, ah, you know, I don't. Barry was like, I can't go to it. I don't want to see it. I have nightmares, and we're like, Barry, it's not that the guy's a Christian, you know? Come on, or at least and then afterwards, I'm like, let's go see The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Come on, let's go see that one now. He's like, more, more, because we went away and we debriefed, and 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 you know what's real and what really happens and doesn't happen. And at the end of that, Pete's like, okay, I think I can do it. It wasn't because of the debrief; it was literally because of the movie. I thought mm. the movie was so well done. I was like, I can hang with this. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, here we are, and we're talking about mental illness. And uh, so, I don't know, are there, are there you know, because I was going to say it's in vogue now. Like, it used to not be vogue. And I, I commend Rick Warren for taking it on the chin. Like, I, I know we, we big him up sometimes, but just think about it now. Every, so many people hate the guy, right? And he doesn't retaliate. He keeps doing what God has had him do. And here's the thing about this guy, right? Um, his son dies. People attack him for it. Can you imagine your son dies and people attack you and rip you to shreds? Um, that has been the attitude of Christianity with mental illness. Kick a brother while he's down, right? Rick actually uses it. and just doesn't even bother with that, but goes, you know, it's time that the church really talks about this issue because prior to his son dying, it wasn't in vogue or safe. So Rick sticks his neck out in the midst of that and says, I'm going to start talking about it. And, uh, and, and now it's, I, I know this sounds weird, but now it's okay. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, I've got my own um, history with, uh, with mental illness, not personally, but in my family. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I thought, no, I, thought no was... I got lots of issues. Believe me, I got lots of issues, <laughs> but that ain't one of my personal ones. But I'll tell you though, it runs in my family. Um, a very, uh, close family member of mine, which I'll try and be as ambiguous as possible uh, just for their privacy, uh, has dealt with depression and uh, suicide and um, all of that their entire life. And and that's affected me because 
I've had to deal with someone who has that as an issue. I mean, uh, in fact, I remember one time I caught them trying to kill themselves. And mm. I mean, that'll jack you up. You know, I mean, it just will, especially when you were at the time. I don't know. I think I was like freshman in high school. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't old. I, I, you know, what is that? 12, 13. I don't know how old you are when you go to high school, but, um, you know, so I, but it is something that, and I know that it runs in my family. Like, oh my gosh, dude, I got relatives that it's like a freight train coming through my family. I'm like, okay, it skipped me, but does that mean it's going to land smack dab on my kids? I mean, you know, who knows? Right. You know, some of these things come with age. So there's something for you to look forward to, Pete. Woohoo! <laughs> but, Check, uh, please. I'm gonna make so, me spit my my uh, hard cider all over the computer. I thought I had computer problems before. All right, so here we go. Uh, talking about this, there's a couple of things. You know, um, I'll, I'll get into some more. Um, I, I did my time in this. You know, I did. I did drug rehab. I did. Um, you know, it, it was scary, man. Going to work was scary. I can remember one night I go out to that. I had been punched in the head um, so many times working in my unit. At one point, I, I started getting the bruising on my brain, like a. Uh, like a like a boxer, and um, one it night I went out in the parking lot. Actually, it, it, dude, I swear to you, you know, I actually have been in an emergency room um, after I had the beat down by the by the rugby player in Wales. Um, <laughs> on my way into church, uh, the uh, the the doctor told me if you take any more hits to your brain, like you're gonna be in trouble. And so, you know, it was kind of weird, man, because uh, I I. You know, I remember going out to my car one night and um, I was like, you know, uh, suddenly I lost the ability to control the left side of my body. Oh, no. And I, I, of course, I'm an RN and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm having a stroke. And I literally had to grab onto a car to keep myself from falling. Because if, if you've never experienced, I guess most people haven't, right? Like y- y- when you have like a stroke and I, it wasn't a proper stroke. It was the bruising, but it shut down the left side for some reason. I, I don't know, but they, they did a neuro test. No, you haven't had a stroke, but they said you're, you're basically getting what boxers get. And uh, <clears throat> probably some of the guys in the MMA. Maybe but, you should learn uh, how to fight. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, dude. Dude, that wasn't an issue. It was just that uh, you would have guys run out of room and sucker punch you as you're walking down the hall. So you learn to be hyper vigilant. And uh, I remember one time there was this one. Uh, patient that used to go for me and I remember walking in this one day and it was around that time and I, remember, I, I just kept getting punched around that time and I didn't usually get in skirmishes with patients I was a guy that could talk everyone down and I'd just be super cool to people you know I was a Christian I'd pray and uh, you know but I, I normally I could talk people down because I treat them with respect and we'll talk about that um, that's always what you want to do right it's kind of an archaic idea of, of mental health to think that it's like Nurse Ratchet and one flew over the cuckoo's nest that you're always putting needles in people's butts. Those times come. They have to happen. Sometimes there's no alternative uh, where you put them in the rubber room and strap them down to a to a uh, restraining bed and put a shot in their butt. You know, that, that happens. But 
the reality is that uh, I remember walking in this one day. I'm not going to get punched in the head. And um, this guy came flying out of the room, and I had two students I was training. I did like the most awesome Jackie Chan, you know, Chuck Lee or uh, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee um, combo move, man. And the dude, I flipped him. It was so awesome, and it was just completely uh, instinctive. And I was, I was like, those students looked at me like I was, I was a kung fu god. It was awesome. Hmm. I just want to tell that story. I like it. It was a good story. Yeah, that was it. So the reality is you mentioned about how you have a family history. Everybody listening to this podcast has someone in their family, unless they come from a very small, sheltered family. I would bet that almost every single listener uh, has someone in their family or is personally affected by mental illness. And and, and it's not something to be ashamed of. You have no control over it. It's not something, you know, oftentimes it's genetic uh, predisposition. You're born with um, something inherent, maybe a chemical imbalance, but also things get triggered by life events. And often you are not in control of either one of those. So um, here's just to throw out a statistic, Um, depression, 50% of the population of America has been diagnosed. Now this, I'm going on a statistics is 10 years old. Um, I should, we we didn't prepare for this, but um, 10%, I mean, uh, 50% of the population 10 years ago had been diagnosed with some form of depression. Now, what am I telling you? I haven't been diagnosed with it. So that means you're it between the two of us? Uh, no. Okay. But that's just people that have been diagnosed. And often you got to think about the entire, you know, length of a person's life. Um, you know, but, but here's the deal. That's just 50% has admitted that they need to go to a doctor and see someone and been diagnosed. There are plenty of people out there that have not been. And so I want to walk through, um, what they are. It's, it's the reason that Pete and I are, are having a hard time because as a firefighter, you know, I, I hate to say, it, but when you scrape people off the ground with a shovel, um, you, you just kind of, you, you got to deal with it. And unfortunately in ministry, as a firefighter, as a nurse, uh, you joke about a lot of things because it's you're trying to cope with it. And so I'm going to really try to be respectful because it's not funny. Um, it's not something to joke about, but um, you just you see stuff and you don't know what to do with it. And so um, it, it is very sad. It's very heartbroken. I and mean, I'm I'm worn out right now because I just got back from a funeral for someone I love to death who was part of our church who went down swinging but lost the battle with addiction. And he's, you know, home uh, with the Lord right now. But that's hard, man. And I, I can't stand drugs and addiction and all that kind of stuff. And it, the, the two are connected in a weird way. But, uh, but we'll, we'll hold that for another podcast. But probably deal with uh, how to deal with addictions and, and, and things like that. But so today I want to give you the categories of mental illnesses because um, it's not rocket science. You know, a lot of people don't realize they hear a lot of these terms and they don't know what they're dealing with. Um, There are three major types of mental illness. And let me just list them out for you. Number one, there are anxiety disorders. And number two, there are uh, depressive disorders. And number three is what we call the uh, schizophrenic disorders. And that's it. It's that simple. So, you know, when you're dealing with um, mental illness, you're either talking about anxiety, depression, 
And those are two sides of the same coin, by the way, which is where we get uh, manic depression, which is the alternation between the two. And uh, lastly, the um, schizophrenic or delusional disorders, right? Um, it's where you've distorted reality. And that is the smallest type of mental illness. And people don't realize this. And so if we kind of, uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, uh, we'll probably start with uh, anxiety disorders. That's probably the best place to start right now. So what are, what, what are anxiety disorders? Well, there's just straightforward anxiety, right? People that feel anxious, they're uptight, they're stressed. And just, you know, if we look, and Pete, interrupt me whenever, right? Because I'll start falling into like the zone now where I just start teaching, right? But, uh, but interrupt me, please. Shut me up at some point. That's to be a trigger for me to start again. Come on. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where was I? Where was I? Okay. Anxiety disorders. So, um, you know, if, if you think about it, it, all mental illnesses are, if you really study them, it's the brain. The brain is a complex organism. And we have, the, the brain is so amazing. We have means to protect our psyche. And so we, you know, Freud developed the term, and I'm not going totally with Freud. Not all these guys have things they contribute and things that are wrong. So don't get all freaky on me. Oh, he's a Freudian. No, it's just that uh, Freud came up with the term uh, defense mechanism. And it was a way in which a person either to avoid guilt, and of course, we know since the fall, we don't want to think we're guilty. So we blame other people. That could be a defense mechanism. But when Freud used the term, he was going deep into the psyche to say that, look, there are things that we don't want to deal with. And so our mind evades certain things, and we call that a defense mechanism. And, and one of the things is that life throws all kinds of stressors at us, right? Like, let's say you get up in the morning and, you know, the alarm goes off. I don't know if anyone listening wakes up stressed in the morning, right? So, like, I wake up stressed this morning because I got a funeral. Number one, I got to drive. I know there's always a chance on that freeway of traffic. So, I'm leaving at 745 to be at a funeral um, that starts at 10, but I got to be there at 915. So, I'm leaving an hour and a half to travel for an hour-long journey. Plus, you know, I'm always worried I'm going to screw up somebody's funeral. But that's, that's one thing you don't want to screw up, right? You can screw up a wedding a little bit. That's not so bad, but screwing up a funeral really sucks. You just laugh at a wedding when you screw up. Nobody laughs at a funeral when you screw up. And so, you know, I, I wake up, I'm a little stressed. And then, you know, let's say, for example, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready and there's no toothpaste. Now I'm like, oh, my breath is going to stink. So, ding, ding, right. If we think of the anxiety meter, my anxiety is going up. Oh, I've got a funeral, you know, there's going to be, then I check the road report. Oh, there's construction, which there was on the five, which kept me third. Now my anxiety has gone up a bit more. Suddenly, uh, you know, uh, my printer won't work. And I'm trying to print out my notes that I've got for the funeral sermon. Oh, no, stupid printer cartridge is out. Anxiety meter, right? Then I go out to my car and I forget that I had to park it around the other side of the neighborhood because the apartment's near me. Everyone filled up the street last night because Friday night's party night in apartment land. And so then I'm like, oh, man, now I got to walk. But I got all this stuff I got to bring. And do you see what I'm saying? Like, everything's, you know, and then, you know, you're, you're on your way to 
to work in the morning. And so all these things happen. Your anxiety goes super high. Then the school calls and they're like, oh, sorry, Mr. Joan, your child, you know, built, uh, bid another child today. So now, ding, 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 now you're thinking a oh, lawsuit, you know, pending lawsuit, you know, all these tests now. Did that really happen? Son. Uh, not my child biting another child, but that does frequently okay. happen when your kids. In I was school. like, man, I, I thought she played rough with me, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, but you know, I mean, these are things, right? Like, uh, if you have a kid in school, it's gonna be you're either you're gonna get a phone call. One's either gonna be uh, Mr. Jones, someone bit your child, or Mr. Jones, Jones, your child bit somebody. So, um, you know, you know, then there's all these things like you know they want to get them tested and all. It's weird. It's freaky. But so your anxiety and then, you know, the wife all of a sudden says something to you like, oh, I'm running late. And you're like, dang it, woman, you know, and you just because your anxiety level is so high, you now hit what's called the uh, the arousal threshold. There's just this theory about arousal of anxiety. And so um, it wasn't what you were thinking, Pete, not that kind of arousal. But <laughs> there's this you hit. What's I was going to say, I know that threshold. Anyway, go on. <laughs> So you hit what's called the trigger zone, right? Sorry, so was that part of that inappropriate is, joking? That's cope? why I ignored you. That's why I ignored you and uh, gave you one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your anxiety is constantly climbing. Now, anxiety is an inbuilt mechanism. Why? It's uh, here's the thing. Like otherwise, we'd be like a bunch of potheads, right? We'd be like, hey, man, it's cool, right? Like, no, I had to leave the house early. Anxiety can be a very useful tool. And I don't mean the anxiety, it's like an evil, idolatrous anxiety. But tension in an individual is a very good thing. So like when I got a deadline approaching, I kick into gear. And the, the brain, it's the brain's way of saying, hey man, hey man, hey man, pay attention. Hey man, you got something coming. And Proverbs talks about this. It says, you know, a wise man sees danger coming and hides himself, right? Like you're all, oh, there's stuff I got to do now. So this is all very helpful stuff. So God hardwired into each one of us that um, the brain is able to task manage and to kind of up the ante a bit and let you know, hey, man, there's high stakes here. Um, you have to navigate. <coughs> excuse me. I should have muted that. You have to navigate um, this potential minefield. And so anxiety is a useful tool. What's bad is when anxiety goes out of sync. And that's where you just like, don't worry. That's obsessive worrying about things. It's not the end-driven. It's kind of like our drive to, to deal with things, to accomplish things, and to get things done. But when it becomes, uh, when it gets out of order um, due to ineffective coping, then it becomes an anxiety disorder. Now, a disorder, by definition, means anything that keeps a person from functioning normally. And so it interferes with your tasks of daily living, like, you know, I, I, I can't do my job because I have a nervous breakdown at work or I, I can't sit through a meeting without shaking. Um, I can't give a presentation. I can't handle confrontation without bursting into tears um, at work. So everyone walks on eggshells around me. People just know like, oh, that person can handle it. That's when, you know, kind of like Radiohead, you know, they have this really cool song called Slow Down. And he talks about, you know, sometimes I, I get going too fast. And uh, that's when you see sparks flying, you know, and, um, and, and of course, Tom York, lead singer Radiohead, does struggle uh, with depression and anxiety. And so that, that would be like your anxiety. And there's medications that people can take to help them uh, deal with some of the symptoms like the shaking, um, you know, maybe feelings of panic 
like they're overwhelmed. Um, I've known people who uh, maybe work in a in a store and they see somebody uh, you know that that they knew from you know some other area of their life who caused great pain to one of their family members and they can't handle seeing that person. They have a panic attack at work. So all those things would be uh, a part of saying anxiety disorder and you can medicate, but the, the problem with medications um, is you should know this. Uh, psychiatric medications are uh, prescribed more than all other medications including heart medicines combined. Really? I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Most highly prescribed, right? And and part of it is because a lot of these guys out there, they you go and see them. They're psychiatrists. They got the credentials behind their name. They're like, oh, well, you came to me with a problem. I got to do something. So I'll check this drug at you. Now, most doctors are in bed with pharmaceutical companies because they get perks and kickbacks and um, percentages for prescribing. So that's always lining their pocket, which really sucks. Um, it's a hole in our system. It's a problem. But the reality is um, any good psychiatrist um, will tell you. And by the way, there is no uh, inherent uh, disagreement that a psychiatrist should have with a Christian or the scripture. I've met plenty of Christian psychiatrists and uh, by the way, psychologist is not the same as a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist deals specifically with mental illnesses. And a psychiatrist can be a Christian. He can believe, well, God designs us a certain way. And the, the brain can break just like your bone can break. You know, you, you can just like your liver breaks down, your, your brain tissue can break down. And um, so anyways, um, any good psychiatrist will tell you that, look, you know, these drugs are only effective for so long. Um, they are different than all other medications. All other medications we prescribe are water-based or water-soluble, water meaning they break down in the bloodstream. Um, psychiatric medications are uh, fat-soluble, which means that they have to go through the protective membrane that covers your, your brain. Your brain is floating in your skull. You know that, right? There's like a little, um, you know, pocket in your skull where your brain sits. With the, the more I drink, the more it floats. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you ever notice like uh, when people get dehydrated, right? Like they um, or, or if a baby gets dehydrated, if you ever notice that one of the ways you can tell is there's that hole in the skull. It's called the fontanelle. They have an anterior and posterior fontanelle. The fontanelle is the hole. In the in the in the skull, um, and and that will depress, and that's because the fluid when you're dehydrated, that fluid goes, and that's why when people get dehydrated, they act funky because there's not enough liquid in the brain. But anyways, your brain is a wash in blood, and there's this barrier called the blood-brain barrier, and that protects the brain from chemicals. And so uh, when you are um, taking those drugs, water-soluble drugs won't penetrate that barrier. It's a protective membrane around the brain. It's really cool the way God designed it. So we have to give fat-soluble medications, and they take time to go through. So we're limited what we can use, um, but they take time to go through. And uh, I can't get into all the chemistry. I used to teach this stuff, you know, when, when I was in Wales. I was a clinical troubleshooter. But uh, and now I, you I can't church planning, so that's good. I do, I do, and it would bore the bore everyone to tears. But what I'm trying to to get you to understand is this is important because these drugs 
you build a tolerance over time. The brain starts building a tolerance to these drugs. So all good psych uh, psychiatrists know that these drugs are only going to be uh, effective for a very uh, small period. So what, what, what they will do normally is they will tell someone, look, you also need to be prescribed therapy. I can't responsibly just throw a drug at you because these drugs won't always work the same. So if you know a psychiatric patient, they always say to you, oh, they're messing with the meds. The reason that they're changing the meds is because maybe a new pharmaceutical came out that could be more effective. And so they experiment and try stuff. But a lot of times because the drug they've been on, they have to keep increasing the dose and it gets to a point where there's levels of toxicity. And um, so certain drugs like lithium, um, has a very narrow window between the therapy, what's therapeutic and what's toxic. So, you know, you, you run into problems. But all this to say, um, what, what normally you're looking at with someone with anxiety is you're looking what's causing the anxiety, and that's what's called a stimulus. Let's remove this from their life. And number two, let's give you coping skills. Because not only do you, do you maybe have things in your life that are caught, like, you know, the, the drug addict son who's living in the basement, Who's stealing your money? Okay, your anxiety would significantly decrease if you got him in rehab. Um, but B also coping coping mechanisms. How do you deal with your stress? And normally, people haven't been taught to deal with anxiety. And of course, statistically, they find that people that uh, pray have much lower levels of anxiety. It's not always a rule because they may have a uh, bio, uh, biological cause for their anxiety. It could be uh, a chemical that's being secreted. By the way, uh, the brain secretes chemicals which cause depression, which is when the brain slows down uh, and it can't cope with things as well, or it speeds up too fast and it, it, it has too much that it's processing at one time. That is what anxiety and depression are. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, so it's, it's based on how fast and slow the brain is, is processing things. When a depressed person, uh, comes, it's like someone being slowed down in time. Their brain is slower and it can deal with less data, less input, less, uh, stressors and boom, boom, boom. So first thing to know about anxiety, anxious person is, um, you know, uh, so the, here's the, the question. How are we as, as, you know, people in the church, and specifically for the church planners, yeah. how are they supposed to deal with them? Like, so, what, what yeah. kind of issues come up with them, and then how do they deal with them? Okay, so, you know, the first thing is to understand it. Like, not to, someone's anxious, and you just quote a scripture out. You know, oh, it says, don't worry, brother. You know, well, <laughs> oh, okay, I would flip thanks. you off. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, it's like, well, thanks, you. man. Thanks for the compassion there. Um, really, I, I, I really sense Jesus coming off you right now. Thanks a lot. That's what he tells me. Suck it up. Um, when Jesus says, don't worry, he's basically saying, don't make worry your God. Like, don't, don't, he's not, he's not giving you a hard time that, that you may sometimes worry. He's saying, hey, I got you covered. Understand that. And so, you know, it's good for people that are worried to, um, you know, you can point them to those scriptures, but understand there may be a chemical reason. And plus, it's not like they just wake up one morning and decide they're going to worry. They may not have built coping skills. And so, you know, sit down with them and talk to them. Ask them, what do you do when you get anxious? All right, okay. Well, and, and, and so what I do is back when I was a nurse and I used to do care plans for people, um, 
you know, one of the major things that decreases anxiety is working out, going for walks. Your body produces endorphins. Um, there are scientific studies that prove that um, this decreases stress. Some people need therapy to um, realize that um, just someone to talk out, like talk out these problems. But I would say, number one, you know, talk to them about this. See what they understand about their anxiety disorder and what they do about it. There are friends of mine that are in ministry, and I tell them, hey, man, you need your meds. You're slipping. You need to, you need to be taking your meds. Or if the doctor's messing with your meds, tell them it's not working. As a psych nurse, I'm seeing what you're putting on Facebook, or I'm, I'm, I'm just noticing a few, you know, red flags here. But, but see what they understand. And then once you see that, talk to them, you know, um, and realize, like I said earlier, when you're out of your depth. Um, but, but make sure they're can constantly, you know, as far as things they can do, make sure they're working out, make sure they're getting enough rest, make sure that they're praying and make sure they're getting therapy. And that therapy might be talking to you about their anxiety. It's amazing how when people talk and talk out what's stressing them, Often, and the goal of any counselor is not to solve someone's problems. The goal of any counselor is to lead people along to understand what's happening to them. And you do that, that could be a whole other podcast, how to biblically and effectively counsel people. But, um, but, but eventually what you're trying to get them to do is kind of for the penny to drop. Every time I've ever been in a counseling session for how jacked up I am, it's, I just understood some person just keeps asking me questions. And I finally, the penny drops Ah. I get it now. I understand why I'm jacked up like that. And boom, that's when the healing comes in. And and I always go to a Christian counselor because the Lord always seems to use them. So that's it. So going back to our t- different types of disorders. Okay. So, so unfortunately, Pete, like the answer is kind of like, well, th- there's not a lot you can do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like, I mean, you can pray for them and definitely do pray for them. Definitely do lay hands on them. But don't act like you have to fix them or feel that burden. Just say, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to mourn with you when you're mourning, you're anxious. I'm going to listen to you. Listen, listen, listen. That's the key to all these. And pray for them. And if they need medications, get them on medications. Also realize if they're on medication and it's not biochemical, it's more what we call um, situational stress, not um, bio uh, biological uh, anxiety, but situational anxiety. Don't put them on a medication if there's not a chemical imbalance. And I always tell people, if you want to know what it feels like to be crazy, go to the doctor and tell me you need psych meds. Make up a story, go get on a psych med, and what what it will do is if your brain's going too fast. No, let's let's correct this. Please don't go to the doctor and go on a psych do med. That. Thank you, Pete. Always making sure we don't get sued. <laughs> For, but, uh, unless you genuinely need it, don't be making up stories. But, but here's the deal, like you actually, to understand, I tell people, if you don't need to be on psych meds and you start taking them, <laughs> you'll know, I don't need to be on this med because it will mess with your brain chemistry and make you worse. And so there's a lot of people that are on meds that don't need to be, but there are also people who are on meds who need to stay on meds. And that's not your call. You're not qualified to make that call. And you should never do that. Case in point, you could actually be liable and be sued if you tell someone as a minister, hey, even though I don't have the training and schooling and I didn't even know there was such a thing as uh, biological anxiety, I'm telling you should get off and just trust God. Not only are you a ripping jerk and an ignoramus, but you actually are now culpable if that person gets hurt 
and it comes out in a hearing that well, my pastor told me I didn't need to be on this medication. Well, That's yeah, stupid. And imagine what that does, you know, as far as people's view of you, your church, uh, the church in general, and God. Great, we got to deal with these idiots again. Yeah, and so like for us, man, we're we're like the place where you can go and you can say like I got depression or I got anxiety, and our people are like, cool, man, we're gonna love you, we're gonna love you through this, and. You know, we don't see that as like Jesus defeated. We pray into it. And there are times where people just click. It goes away. You know, it happens. You want to know but, something kind of interesting? Our second most downloaded podcast right now is uh, number 70, which is church planning and dealing with being stressed and overworked. Yes. Exactly. I think a lot of our church planners probably got, um, you know, anxiety issues. Absolutely. And you know this, guys. You know that the more things start popping in your ministry and the more things go, that's when you're closer to burnout. And you have to be able, I, I just talked to a church planner this morning and I was just telling him, look, man, when things really start taking off, that's when you're in the most danger. And, you know, I said, the best way you can help your ministry is to slow down and love your family because otherwise your family's going to get the shrapnel when you blow up and you're going to be taken, excuse me, you're going to be taken out. And so it's funny that. So when your anxiety goes up, don't think your anxiety didn't go up because you're, you know, quote unquote, doing the Lord's will. Holy Spirit will be moving around you, but you still got to be wise. You, as Charles Spurgeon said, the minister is his own tools and you got to take care of your tools. man. You got to You can't use them nonstop. You couldn't use a power saw nonstop without letting the engine rest. You have to rest. Jesus rested. He went away. Um, he took his guys up the mountain. They sought God. You need to be taking breaks and getting away. And, uh, yeah, so that's important. Man. That's, that's a good point, Pete. I'm there for good points every once in a while. <laughs> so the second type, and I'll try not to go on so long, because the second point is Yeah, because you also have five minutes, so that's good. Are, have we gone on this long? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Well, maybe we should talk. Maybe it should be a three-parter. Oh, gosh. Not the series again. Well, I think the one on depression is a big one to talk about. I don't think you can do that in five minutes. Yeah. Why don't we do this? Why don't we um, wind it down, and then we will cover next episode. We'll cover depression and schizophrenia because depression is a big deal. That is the biggest one. But what a lot of people don't realize is depression is actually a Trojan horse. Um, depression is the flip side of anxiety. And so what will happen is people that suffer from depression are not losers. They're not just people that, you know, they're kind of like uh, they're going, you know, they just they have no motivation. They're total, you know, psychological potheads um, and they, they just can't cope with reality. So, you know, they just shut down. That's not the deal. Um, often what happens is highly, highly productive, highly motivated, uh, highly active people suffer with depression. And the reason why is exactly what you just brought up. They're going, 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 and they're taking so much anxiety and in, internalizing so many different stressors. They're like spinning plates, spinning plates. And let's face it, ministries like spinning plates a lot that eventually the brain goes, you know, there's smoke coming out my ears. I'm working so hard right now. I think to protect myself because I'm an organ and, you know, all organs in the bodies have defense mechanisms. The brain goes, you know what? 
I'm going to, uh, I mean, that's what alcohol, you know, when you drink alcohol, right? That's the body just going, I ain't processing that. That's poison, right? So your body doesn't process poison. Um, it, God could have made our body that processes poison and kills us, but it can't process alcohol. So um, the body just goes, I'll just run that through the bloodstream and that will um, it'll go out really? in the pee-pee. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so you, it's so your I've liver. I've been poisoning bomb. myself during our podcast today. Oh, absolutely! Alcohol is total poison, and so what it is is your brain goes, "Oh Give me no, another man. shot of poison." I'm sorry. Yeah, I bad. can't process that, and it circulates it through your bloodstream to get rid of it through the kidneys. Really? And uh, oh, that's that's why. Pee I looks think you're like, making that up. I made that part up about pee looking like beer. That was totally a lie. I but didn't even hear that. It does look and smell like beer sometimes, but that's just incidental pee. Okay. But I just thought I thought I'd make you laugh. I appreciate okay. that. Yeah, exactly. So here's the deal, though, is that um, it's your brain just shutting down. That's what depression is. It's your brain going right. I've lived in anxiety for so long, and so the two are you know different sides of the same coin. It's mm -hmm. anxiety, and the brain just finally goes, hey, screw this, man. I ain't going to walk around being anxious. I'm going to shut down. In fact, if I slow down, I don't have to process all this stress and anxiety. So I'll just, and it's, again, um, sometimes you guys know when you feel like you hit a wall, um, and you're like, I hit a wall, and I can't even think. I just need to go out and walk down the beach and clear my head. That's when that mechanism is healthy. And your brain's going, no more, no more, I'm done. Or you you know, like it's it's a Friday and you're like, I need Saturday because I couldn't do this for one more day. I, I just, I'm not working effectively. It's because the brain's overloaded. And so you shut down at a certain point. But when it's depression, it literally means you shut down to a point where, um, we'll get into it next time, but, but you cannot function. You can't get out of bed or, you know, you can't handle going to work. And, and, and that's when it becomes a disorder, right? It, it literally ruins your life. And so that's it, man. So, so I hope today, I mean, I don't know what the takeaways were for today. Pete, what'd you pick up on today? Uh, that alcohol is a poison. Um, that was my biggest that's takeaway. That's why P looks like beer. That's why P looks like beer. And, um, and our second most downloaded podcast is, uh, church planners dealing with, uh, you were Stress playing Angry Birds while we recorded this, weren't you? You're like, oh, I can't wait for a Transformer one to come out. It's next week. Angry Birds Transformers. <laughs> I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't ask me what was the number one most downloaded podcast that we have currently. What's the number one downloaded podcast? Well, thank we you for asking, Peyton. It's actually number 56, which is titled, The One to Do About When You Have a Transsexual Changing in the Main Bathroom. It's just killing me that that is our number one most downloaded podcast by far right now. Oh, uh, that was bad. I found that button. <laughs> Can laughter on the podcast? Oh, we're in trouble now. You're killing me. You're killing me, Smalls. You got to fix the machine. You have to save our listeners from I, Google Hangout. I I don't know how to fix it. It's it's beyond me. I need someone with tech skills. It so has left us. I would say, all right, so here, here's our closing for today. Um, we'll be back next week with uh, a much more entertaining podcast, but on depression. 
and that'll be fun to listen to. How can we make depression entertaining? But but we will. We'll find a way. We will. Hopefully, you were entertained by anxiety. It was a lot of information. I actually didn't realize time got away from us. But here's the deal, guys. Um, it helps to know this. It's not rocket science, but uh, it is health science. I think it. I think it really helps to know just how common this stuff is and be ready to deal with it. Like that's that's I think what people need to realize is you're going to have to deal with it. So, and maybe you've already dealt with it in your own life. Maybe you deal with it personally. Maybe you deal with it with a family member or an extended family member or a friend. But um, like for me, if it hadn't been that I've dealt with it with family, I would just like outright reject it. I'd be like, ah, whatever, you know, people just need to suck it up and, you know, move on. Obviously I've said that before on the podcast because that's the way that I'm built but I've had to deal with it. So I realized, you know what? You, you can't just say that to everybody. That's the way I yeah. look at life, but that's not how other people are processing life and moving through it. Well, I mean, my best friend, you know, he's not here. He's, he's home with the Lord, but he shot himself. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was hard, man. And, you know, we're all going to be affected. And guys, if you're in ministry, here's the deal. Many of you church planners, you haven't really been in a position where you are the lead. Um, you may have been somebody's assistant or youth pastor, or you know you were on a team, but you've never been the lead. And and what you quickly realize when you get into that position is everybody starts coming to you. Um, hopefully, you build a team where that doesn't stay that way. But but that's how it usually people perceive. They've always been in a Moses model. Um, they haven't read uh, by any means the excellent book. <laughs> it is Church Zero. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, I was just waiting to build it up so I could use that sound effect. But uh, they haven't. It's going to suck if our sound effects don't actually work, and we just keep laughing at these silent places on this broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the the reality is is that you learn quickly what your church actually looks like. You know, you come in on a Sunday morning, you look around. That's not what your church looks like. When you start again, I always tell my church, I know all your secrets, right? I always joke with them about that, you know, when I'm talking about grace, because I'm like, we all need it, because I know all your secrets. And, you know, or if I tell people, hey, you might think these people are perfect, but I know all their secrets. I always make a sick joke about that. But it's true. What your church actually looks like is what we're talking about today. And you quickly learn these people are suffering from disorders. Um, this woman is struggling with beating her kids because she was abused. This person is a registered sex offender. And oh my gosh, what am I going to do with that? Um, this person, you know, you, you start learning, you know, all of the, the, the things people are struggling with and you have to deal with them. And so guys, it, it's no good to just look at your church on a Sunday morning and let everyone pretend because pastors perpetuate it, right? They perpetuate this illusion that these things don't go on by never talking about it. And when I, I'll, I'll never forget, I was working in the 90s in the psychiatric hospital, and it wasn't cool way before, um, you know, Rick Warren recently. I mean, we're talking way back. And it just was not cool. And I remember seeing people, because I had been on pastoral staff at a big church, people would see me. And I was, it was the year before I went to Wales. I was like, well, I need to go make some money. And so I went to this hospital, got a job from a police ride along in Long Beach, ironically. Um, this is kind of a funny story. Really quickly, um, we, we chased a guy 
who had robbed a pawn shop and we chased him down a back alley and um, he hopped over a wall and we caught him, but um, I was going to be a chaplain. And so I rode with this guy and we had to take him because some old lady says he had some jewelry, but he swallowed it. So we took him, we had to take him to Long Beach Memorial and x-ray his stomach contents to see if he had, you know, had this jewelry in there. And um, so as, as we were waiting for the x-ray, I said to the cop, you know, I, I need to go get an app while I'm here because I need to make double when I'm making a ministry and I can do that as a nurse. He goes, you need a job? I'm like, yeah. He goes, my wife works in a psychiatric hospital in human resources. She'll hire you. Boom. Got in. Got the job. So kind of kind of funny. But anyways, um, you know, when I was working at the psychiatric hospital, I'd have people say to me, they'd be like, hey, uh, Pastor Payton, is that you? And they were like really shocked because one of the units we had was a high functioning unit. So they weren't all, it wasn't all like guys, you know, eating each other's ears off. It was, you know, one of them was, was a high functioning unit. It was people who, you know, tried to kill themselves, people struggling with addiction, depression, um, anorexia. Um, and so, you know, I, I would end up on this unit and they would say, I'll never forget this one lady's crying. It, it, is it bad to say that every woman needs a little touch of anorexia? Yes. Oh, okay. That's All horrible. Right. I just wanted to make sure. I would That's, never say that. Where's my sound effect for bad Pete? I need <laughs> one of like a dog being smacked. <laughs> Where's that one? Here, I'm going to try this well, one. Well, look, my- we're, we're way over, so you need to wrap this up. <laughs> I love it. My last, my last sentence then. Um, she said, Peyton, I've had these problems for years, but I can't talk to anyone in the church because I'll get lectured or told I'm evil or they'll just point me to read the Bible and pray more. And I never forgot that, man. And I remember just at a certain point feeling like when I got out of the psychiatric hospital, uh, as, as someone who worked there, by the way, um, <laughs> I remember just feeling uh, I, I, I need to always make it known in my church that it's okay. It's okay. And please, you know, if you're struggling with that, we're not going to judge you. Yeah. And so guys, that's important. So, Hey, that's all we have time for is Pete has uh, so gently reminded me that uh, we are on a timeline. I'm so ashamed that I got you hooked on the Google effects today. That one's actually called sad trombone. It doesn't sound like a sad. I actually sound a little bit Mexican fiesta, but like they're too pooped to party. Okay. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Okay. Hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast. Reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going. Sign up for Jump School. And do what nobody's doing. I was waiting for that. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, 
which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplantermagazine.com. 